Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Joe. Here's my water for the day. Yeah. We are continuing this morning in our series in the life of David. I love, there's something just special about the first Sunday after Labor Day. It just feels like day one. It feels like I'm ready to start something new. And I even feel more, I feel better about the first Sunday after Labor Day or like that first week uh, than I do sometimes after the New Year. Because the New Year's is kind of like, oh, you know, it's the middle of winter and we're all just recovering from Christmas. But like now I feel like, you know, we're about to do something. You know, we have uh, things are stirring, and there's a new school year starting, and we're starting a new sermon series, and I just want everybody to think about maybe what is it um, that, that God might be calling you to do, that God might be calling a rhythm, that maybe God's calling you to, to incorporate into your life. Um, and at this time, as we uh, gather around God's Word, I want to make a special point of that. I want us to, to think about the Word and have our thoughts and our prayers and our reflections um, kind of focused on that. So at this time, I'd like the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. We're in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I practiced that like five times. Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord, to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord 
came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But this, the word of our Lord, will endure forever. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. So, one of my favorite places to be in the world is Lock Raven Reservoir. Growing up, Lock Raven was the thing that you did when you knew you wanted to do something, but you couldn't figure out like what it was. Uh, oh yeah, let's just go to Lock Raven today. I don't know what we're going to do. Well, let's go to Lock Raven. I, I had some business to take care of in Towson on Friday, and I knew that I was in for a busy weekend. So I found myself with some time to kill, and I decided, well, I'll take a book to read, and I'm going to go down to Lock Raven by the water. And I started to drive to my kind of usual spot, but then I realized that I wanted a bit of adventure. So I parked the car at Providence and Lock Raven Drive, and I ventured into the woods. Now, for, what, for me, the woods, they're peaceful enough, and I enjoy them, but nothing beats the water. Nothing beats sitting by the water. And I wanted solitude. So I went off the path fairly quickly, and I made a beeline for the water's edge. And hiking up an incline for about ten minutes, I noticed signs of people who had been there before. An old Coke, uh, glass Coke bottle dated in 1982 was surprisingly intact. Farther into the woods, I noticed a cross that someone had made out of gray pipe fixed in a pile of rocks and surrounded by carefully placed sticks that created kind of like a sacred space square. No markings explaining what exactly the space honored were present. Did someone bury an animal here? Was this uh, a spot that someone had created for prayer? Did something horrible happen here? I spent a moment there and then I moved on and I could tell through the trees that I was approaching the water, but then I saw why this wasn't a typical path for those looking to hike in the woods. Leading down to the water was a sharp downhill walk that was littered with these sharp slate-like rocks and sticks and just tons of trees straight down to the water. Still, I saw down there at the bottom of the hill this pleasant-looking rock that would just be a perfect place to sit and have some quiet time and talk to God. It wasn't going to be easy getting down that hill, but, and it certainly wasn't going to be easy getting back up it, but, but I signed on for an adventure. Carefully, I went down the hill, falling several times and wondering if anything, if any of this is actually going to be worth it. And I said to myself, it'll be worth it if I make this a sermon illustration. <laughs> ah, yes. From here on out, I'm doing this for the congregation. (laughs) Falling several more times, I got far dirtier than I anticipated. Closer to the water, the ground was thick with slippery moss. Finally, I reached the bottom and I sat at the water's edge. And the first signs of fall and the clear blue September sky made it absolutely gorgeous. And other than the sounds of nature and the occasional car in the distance, it was just perfectly silent. I emptied my pockets and I sat on a rock and it was, it was just still. For several moments, for a long while, I just sat still before doing or thinking or saying anything. I'd taken a book 
Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. This is the book that we're using as a guide through our time studying the life of David. Regardless, uh, regarding our passage for this morning, Peterson says this, The choice of David, the runt and the shepherd, to be anointed, to be a sign and representative of God's working presence in human life and history, is surely intended to convey a sense of inclusion to all ordinary men. All ordinary men, women, the plain folk, the undistinguished in the eyes of their neighbors, those lacking social status or peer recognition, which is to say the overwhelming majority of all who have lived on this old planet Earth. Election into God's purposes isn't by popular vote. Elections into God's purposes isn't based on proven ability or potential promise. After reading those lines, I heard Mary Poley ringing in my ears saying, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. She says that a lot. And she should. The remarkable thing about David's entrance into the story is that he was, in large part, unremarkable. That doesn't mean that there weren't things worth praising. We're told that David had beautiful eyes and that he was handsome. So really, here's a rundown of what we know about David at the time of his anointed. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest of many brothers. He was ruddy. He had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. All of this, and evidently, he was a man after God's own heart. Now this detail is here in today's text. It had been previously mentioned um, earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, and we saw it mentioned centuries later, last week we saw it mentioned centuries later, by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13. A a man after God's own heart. I mean, actually, that sounds pretty remarkable to me, wouldn't you say? True. But the point that Peterson was making, I think, is that God can and will do incredible things with a person who keeps their heart fixed on the Almighty. There is no talent that you need to acquire to serve God. There is no better training ground, better than the life that you're leading right now, the life that you're currently living. That's your training ground. No doubt you have potential, and I know this congregation. No doubt you have talents. You have talents and what we might even call spiritual gifts. But make no mistake, God is far less interested in what you are doing than why you are doing it. Like the man said to Indiana Jones, is it for his glory or for yours? The heart matters quite a bit because everything we know about history tells us that God can do unbelievable things in the life of those who believe and follow him. God is asking everyone, regardless of talent and promise and skilled, are you prepared? Are you prepared to give everything to me? Or are there things that you're still holding on to? Are there places in your life that you refuse to follow God's heart? Addictive habits, greed, envy, jealousy, We're going to hear plenty of stories that emphasize David's humanity. The fact that even though he was God's anointed, he was still merely a man who fell short of the glory of God because of his sinful nature. But now, for now, we see that God's Spirit was able to move in a mighty way in a person whose heart was in the right place. 
And this tells us something. This, this tells us two powerful things. Number one, it tells us that God can do, can and will use anyone for his purposes. In fact, he seems to have a special interest in showing what can be done with what to some may seem like the least likely person. And number two, if we have talents, if we have positions, if we have potential, and if we have power, are we using it in a way that it is in accordance with God's heart? We know this. uh, This is not something that's hidden. It's it's not... uh, 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 It's always something to be wrestling with, but it's not something that we need to go, I wonder what God's heart looks like. The text for this morning says that the Lord, uh, the Spirit of God moved mightily in David from that day forward. And later on in in Galatians, Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit, what that's going to look like when God is moving mightily in your life. It's going to look like love. It's going to look like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. It's going to look like self-control. These are the things that we can cultivate. These are the things that we can look at the work that we've done. We can look at the things that we can done. We can look at the way that our church has lived, the way that we're, we're doing business and doing worship as a church, and we can say, is there love in it? Is there joy in it? Is there peace in it? Is there patience and kindness and goodness? Is this the fruit of it? Are we a, a community that encourages self-control and accountability? Or have our lives, have our groups given way to fornication, impurity, jealousy, envy, greed, divisiveness, divisions, factions? It's not given anything away to tell you that as we move through David's story, his heart is going to play a huge role in his successes and his failures. Is he staying true to a life that is after God's own heart, or is he straying from the path in a direction that is all too common for those who are given a great deal of power and prestige? So that's what I thought about on the rock. Returning to the water's edge at Lock Raven Reservoir, I sat there thinking about the responsibility of pastoring a local church. It's a job that is a terrifying honor. If I find encouragement in Ephesians, where it says that the call of pastoring is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, see, I think it cheapens it to say that I do ministry because I'm a pastor. No, I do ministry because I'm a part of the church. I serve the church as a pastor, and I pastor by equipping you all to do the work of the ministry. God working through all of us, that's what is going to build up the body of Christ. Not when I do ministry, but when we do ministry. When we do ministry with hearts that are just sold out for God. And yeah, there's the big picture C, um, the big worldwide church. But more directly, I'm interested in New Hope Community Church. I'm excited about what has already happened and what I believe will happen in the future if we only align ourselves with God's heart. If God can work in the life of a Bethlehem shepherd whose heart is in the right place, even in the midst of his sinful nature, 
then he can do remarkable things with a church filled with men and women who make up new hope. I know that because I know each one of your hearts. Well, now it was time to head back to the car. I kind of felt pretty good about my quiet time with God that day. I turned around and then I saw this big, nasty hill cliff. Why did I come down here? I could have thought about all that in the car. The ground still covered the slight light rocks and slippery moss. Every step was exhausting. I was very lucky that I was in such good shape. As I climbed the hill and I attempted to use these small trees available to me as kind of short breaks along the trek upward. I would go about 10 feet or so and then I would rest on a tree and I would gather my strength. And I'd go up another 10 feet and I would rest on a tree and I would gather my strength. I even grabbed this staff-looking thing so that I could feel like Gandalf while I was slowly making my way up the hill. And I found that in many instances, the obstacles in front of me could be used to my advantage if I had just planned right. And I, but I still relied on those trees in order to stop every so often and collect my strength. All the while, I'm thinking about, oh, this is going to be a great sermon metaphor. Um, for life of faith, we'll move short distances, um, always keeping our eye on where we're headed, but using God's checkpoints along the way to make sure that we're tracking well. These checkpoints could be our prayer life, or our accountability partners, or our time in Scripture. But we should make sure that we're leaning up against the right trees in the right ways, because if we're not, it's kind of like our heart's not in the right place. And I reach the top of the hill, and I still have to walk through the woods, and I still have to go down the path, and I still have to get to the car. But along the way, I start thinking about how grateful I am for the humanity of my heroes. I start thinking about biblical figures like, like Abraham and Moses and how God did remarkable things with those people, even though they weren't the best and the brightest. Israel wasn't God's people because they, they were the greatest nation on earth. In fact, it was just the opposite. Jesus starts gathering followers and he calls fishermen and he throws zealots and tax collectors in there. And it hits me that if God can, can do his will with all of those people in all of those places, then maybe, maybe even me, maybe even I can do something remarkable, even a screw-up like me. So now I'm feeling good, but oh, I'm exhausted, I'm hungry, but I'm encouraged. I feel like, I've, man, this is good. And I feel like I've had my little adventure and I've had my quiet time with God and the path is now starting to come to an end and I can see the road now and I take one look at my car and I reach into my pocket and I realize that my keys are all the way back at the water's edge. Well, I had already promised to God that I would use this as a sermon illustration because I'm an idiot. And it was at that moment I thought about how God could use even a screw-up like me. And he humbled me. And he required that I go through that whole thing again the whole time knowing that I would need to talk about this on Sunday morning. The moral of the story is that God designs the path and he, like He designs the call, dependent upon Him.
Still, it's significant that the last line of the passage for today says that the Lord came mightily upon David from that, for, from that day forward. See, this is the first time David is named in the story. Names are such a fascinating part of Scripture. Sometimes it seems like a lot is made of certain characters' names. Other times we, we don't get names that we, when we want them, and we get whole hospitals and nonprofit organizations named after Samaritans. But here God chooses David to be his anointed, to be his new king. And the story is personalized through the giving of a name and married to this idea that God's spirit is working mightily in that person. Peterson says that God deals with persons, named persons, not numbers, not abstractions, not goals or plans. He deals with people, people with names, people with stories, people with personality. When David is named in the story, we're also told that God's spirit moved mightily. I think it could be said that the fact that God knows your name should be at once the most terrifying realization in your life and also the most incredible cause for joy. The idea that the one holy, almighty God of the universe would fix his attention on me enough to call me by my name causes me to tremble because I know that I have not done good things with the name that I was given. I have slandered my name. I've dragged it through the mud to say nothing of what I've done to God's name. But even to that level of offense to my Creator, He reaches down in His grace, calls me by my name, and says, follow me. This is done not because of anything that I did or anything that I damn, anything that I am, but because of who he is, because of his radical, revolutionary love. And that's the thing that we want to think about as we move into the story of David, as we think about the different characters that are going to come into this story, as we think about David's successes and his failures. Not only do we want to examine his failures, which will come, but also his successes. We examine it, we pick it apart. Because we, we know so much about this person named David. And there is so much about this person named David who points us to Jesus, who was David as he was meant to be. Let's pray. Thank you, good Father, for your faithfulness to our stories. Thank you that you can look at each and every one of our hearts. You see what we've done with this name that you've given us. You see our sin. You see our deceitfulness. You see our rebellion against your holiness. And you love us anyway. And you say, no, 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 no. You're on the wrong path. I want you to come back. I want you to repent. I want you to turn towards me. I want you to seek my kingdom because nothing else, it's, that's not going to make sense. If you're following anything else, seek first my kingdom. And yeah, there's, there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some trees. There's going to be some really rough stuff along this path. But it's the only path that's worth living. Father, we give all of this to you today. And we ask that you would speak to us 
and show us your path and give us your peace. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.